This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. What's going on in the place? Someone get the King of England out of my face. Uh, like, it's Hamilton season again in our house, and it's the worst season of all. I don't know if there's, like, child-friendly nicotine in that musical, but for fuck's sake. The worst bit of parenting is pretending cucumbers are delicious and be like, mm, yum, yum, this is yum. But number two is Hamilton. Like, it really, it really sucks. Uh, like, and I, I've made not extremely negative comments about Hamilton in the past, and I want to retract any not extremely negative comment I've made about Hamilton. Boo. Look, I love an opinion that puts you out there and potentially puts you in the path of people's ire. I think after last week's episode and, you know, my Mm. revelation about Moana, I feel quite liberated to the point where, and you know when anybody is recently liberated, whether they've broken up or Mm. they come out or they're whatever, and at first Mm. it's amazing and then they get super annoying because they get super honest and they're like, you know what I hate about you? And it's like, what? (laughs) Anyway, I'm at that stage of liberation, Mm. right? Yep. And I think, you know, especially now that, you know, Sydney is still in lockdown, we're Mm. allowed to be a little bit selfish now and then. Not all the time, but you're allowed a little bit of selfishness and that includes opinions. So I think everybody is allowed one completely non-empathetic opinion. Is that, like, don't you agree? I do, I do. And uh, (laughs) I just think that's a good way for us to have a bit of self-care, for us to be like, you know what, I'm allowed to just not like certain foods. I'm allowed to just not eat vegetables before I eat my dessert. Exactly. Self-care isn't just you know, having a beer in the shower or whatever. Self-care is being mean sometimes. <laughs> so, so Cruelty is such an underrated part of self-care. <laughs> so here is my, oh God, I feel, I feel weird even admitting this, but this is, mm. this is I, like I have to be absolutely honest with I'm myself. Here, I'm here for you. So, Peach, you and I grew up mm. in Australia watching Conan O'Brien. Loved Conan O'Brien. Yep. Anyone who didn't was dumb, triumph, insult, comic dog, formative, like, cultural experience. Yep, completely agree. Now, keep in mind, Conan wasn't shown on free-to-air here. It was shown on cable. It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a little bit niche, you know. Like, mm-hmm. Conan wasn't the sort of thing that every Australian knew about. So it felt like a special thing that we had. Like, like Conan was being part of a cool club that not everyone was a part of. You could raise your eyebrow a little bit. Now, probably one of the most significant events of this century september in 2001 9-11 happens i Mm. i cannot fathom what that felt like as an american and you know conan as a new yorker filming a show in new york you know Mm. in the aftermath of that event i remember the show really clearly the first show back where he sort of in his usual monologue he was like i don't i don't know how i feel about telling jokes now it just it just feels weird 
So inst- mm. and, and so for the next couple of weeks, his show was very serious and invited people on to have chats. And like I said, I don't know what it would be like to be a New Yorker making a show in New York in the mm. immediate aftermath. I will never know what that feels like. I do know what it felt like as a fan of Conan, and they are easily the worst shows he's ever done. They were just <laughs> so boring. They were so boring. I was just, I just, I, and I'd be watching being like, oh, the jokes that he's going to do, there's a skit coming. There's a skit coming. And, and it just never did, right? So with that in mind, obviously mm. we cut last episode short. You know, there was, mm. Peach, you had a death in the family. Like that is rough. Yes. Now, like I'm going to take a, my spooko hat off and say, Peach, I hope you're okay. Mm. Uh, I am. Thank you. Uh, was my granddad who was over a hundred years old. So as my dad said in like a moment of levity, kind of didn't allow in September, 2001, he was like, look, I'm very sad, but he wasn't cut short in his prime. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> sad um and look uh you know COVID impacts how funerals are run and it's a somber sad time but hopefully my dad's uh eulogy is going to be full of classic but thank you I'm not just dismissing my feelings under a cover of jokes I'm tiny bit sad tiny bit stressed but basically fine I appreciate the question. Thank you, Shay. And I just wanted to say, I just wanted to assure you, assure, I just wanted to assure you, assure you, mm. assure you. I'll take both. Uh, as a listener of Spooko, we're not going to Conan mm. O'Brien this. The show must go on. <laughs> and so with that, it's time mm. for part two of Kelly's wiki synopsis of Chuck Tingle's horror novella, Straight. Hearing you say wiki just then had me in like late 90s, like wick, 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 wick. I know we've talked about this before, but can we always mm. talk about how when your rescue dog was still very much in the sort of <laughs> yes. uh, completely shell-shocked, completely destroyed by abuse, so unemotional and barely mm. moved sort of way mm. the dogs are after you rescue them for the first time before they learn to mm. love again. And because of that, if it ever was on the ground... You were able to do something really special with its legs. Yes. So Clarence, um, and he's very advanced in age now, he's a 14-year-old greyhound. You could have one paw up in the classic hold your headphones close to your head (laughs) DJ move. And the way his front leg bended over was like a bent forearm, like scratching a record like a battle DJ would do. And so... He would be DJ Dog. You put a hand on his ear and go, DJ Dog. (laughs) (laughs) He was basically like an early noughties battle DJ in those really. Do you remember those really depressing and time? Spooko is cool. Do you remember how we went to a few DJ battles? And it's just. Nothing is more boring. As well, just the amount of prep as well. Like, don't worry, next DJ battle coming once they lug up all their vinyl. And it's, look, I accept that it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's boring. Hip-hop is one of the great artistic stories of the last century in that, yep. you know, it came out of real class and racial inequality. Mm. Um, it was a art, new art form created all for the community's own. Mm. It had the four elements of hip-hop. And let's be completely honest, they're not all equal. 
two two good ones and two, you know. Hmm. Yeah, look, rapping will forever live on. Change the world. Rapping and yep. hip hop change the world. Yeah, um, graffiti close number two. I think I think graffiti's pretty influential to how the world looks. Breakdancing, uh, I can take a leave. It's been adopted by boring white people the world over. And and especially break like unless you are a phenomenal breakdancer, you look terrible. Breakdancing is like parkour. In that yes. unless you are the best in the world, it yep. looks like you're doing something that literally anyone could do <laughs> in a really awkward way. Like I'm gonna stand on top of this bench and then jump down. <laughs> oh my god. I accidentally I was on a team meeting and it was like a joke. I was like, how shit is like somebody mentioned Barco? I was like, Oh, how shit is Barco? And someone's like, Oh, I did it for two years. And it's like, what did you do for two years? Just yeah, run on with that, it's like <laughs> you're dumb for doing it. <laughs> you're dumb for doing it. <laughs> the irony, of course, uh, in that conversation harks back to the start of the Start of the chat. I just realised Lin Manuel Miranda, writer of Hamilton, also wrote all the songs in Moana. So there's a bit of cognitive dissonance for us to hate Hamilton and love Moana that we're going to have to work through as well. That is mind blowing. Anyway, mm. sorry, there was a false start before, but today we're doing part two of Kelly's wiki synopsis of Chuck Tingle's horror novella from 2021, Straight. And we'll get my dad on as a guest sometime soon, I'm sure. Okay, um, look, there are some board games and we barricaded the house. We're sort of, there's a threat approaching that we're seeing everyone barricade the house up for. But in the meantime, we're going to have just some nice socialising hijinks. We're probably playing, what are we playing? What's the train one? Ticket to Ride or we're playing Settlers of Catan or we're playing Carcassonne or we're playing, what are we playing? Definitely not Risk. Fuck Risk, that sucks. Well, look, in the same way that Christopher Nolan often plays with uh, temporal reality in his films, uh, Mm. last week I decided not to share Kelly's intro to their Mm. synopsis, but you know what? I might share it now Mm. so we can just recap where we're at. So Mm. it's a 2021 horror novella by author Chuck Tingle. Its themes include strength in community and caring for others, and offers a modern social commentary on violence against the LGBTQIA plus community from the perspective of a queer person. Mm. The main character, Isaac, is a bi man living in California. He joins other queer friends for a vacation during Saturation Day, a period of time in which all cisgender heterosexual people become affected by a space object which focuses them on murderous violence towards people under the queer umbrella. Bloody love that synopsis it's it's such a great conceit as well Mm. like it's as you've said before you know the best horror artworks are able to be conceived in fairly uh, clear and concise terms and i think that's just such a good idea the hate crime alien artifact it's good so where we ended uh at the end of last episode Mm was that they started to reveal um, some things that happened the last Saturation Day. So mm-hmm. so Jason shares the story of his first Saturation Day in which he and his partner try to go to a Froyo place. Side note, Froyo is gross. And I yeah. love that they kept trying to make it happen in Australia and everyone's like, why would we eat this? It's, it's like, disgusting. we'll eat the toppings. It's like, yeah, to- <laughs> toppings are fine. <laughs> why would I put chocolate on yogurt? It's like, 
it's yogurt. It's great. And they're like, oh, but it's chocolate yogurt. It's like, that's even worse. What just, were you thinking? You're just being reminded of what you're missing. <laughs> at one at one point, the street where my old share house used to be had three Froyo places. And it was just like, Froyo's <laughs> going to be around forever. <laughs> Finally, I love it. It's like, guys, we should open a burger joint that does like very difficult to eat, stacked very full of shit burgers. (laughs) Stop the presses. All right. So, yeah. So, so Jason shares the story of his first saturation day. He and his partner went to a Froyo place. They pushed through the crowd Mm. and they find someone who'd killed the server and was slicing open their body and scooping out their innards into the toppings bin. Now, Isaac shares his first saturation story in response. Mm. His brother was visiting him from town. He adds flatly that his brother is straight and has a flashback to his reflection in the blood on his apartment floor. Isaac killed his brother in self-defense. Oh, good. Okay. Look, horror movie logic, if saturation day is the anniversary of you killing your brother, maybe next year it's not like let's go party in a cabin. The dread, uh, the dread <laughs> screenwriters could have consulted on this one. <laughs> so Isaac encourages Jason to help deal with the grief of Saturation Day by having fun. Oh, okay, well, so they've answered mm. me straight away. Jason responds that in a horror movie, everyone would be so fucking frustrated by the three of you. Isaac leaves Jason inside to join Nora and Hazel in the hot tub. My least enjoyed trait of horror films is the meta Uh. moment. I think it's really lazy and shit, and I think people think they're doing something clever and it really, really pisses me off. Yeah, if I was a screenwriter or creative writer lecturer in a college or uni in high Mm. school, I'd be like, before you learn anything, rule number one, meta is the easiest thing you can do. Yep, It is the easiest technique, and so if you want to use it, you have to work harder than you would if you didn't use it. Yep. Such such great advice. And like even Stephen King tries hard to break the meta of like, I'm writing about a writer with writer's block in a town <laughs> I'm familiar with. You know, like he like he, he at least strives. Look, we're not we're not the Stephen King compliment podcast. I think we're well on the record about that. But you know, you at least need to take a step forward. Like a heartbreaking work of staggering genius was nearly twenty years ago. And it was very interesting and good, and I imagine it's completely unreadable fucking played-out <laughs> trash right now. I just want to say to the conversation we had mm. last week uh, about books and, mm. you know, having to read these important books that suck, mm. I reckon I probably told 10, 20 people that that was one of the best books I've ever read. Same. I've never finished it. Same. <laughs> was it the first 60 page essay like how it oh. opens up with like I was like oh it's oh. amazing there's diagrams oh, the footnotes and the <laughs> end and you're just like oh Jesus so true the class the uh, I must have told you my confederacy, confederacy of dunces example. you did sure you I did, did last yeah, episode yeah. and yeah, it was uh, I, I still laugh I still chuckle thinking oh. about it classic that book was cut off in its prime. <laughs> so they begin <laughs> to exit the hot tub to go back inside but Isaac sees something One of the outlines of cacti looks like it could be a human figure. Everything goes quiet, but Nora throws a can towards the cactus. Nothing happens and they breathe a sigh of relief. Then the figure rushes them. They run back towards the cabin, but another figure cuts into their path. It holds a lantern and the face of one of the saloon men is revealed. The man is covered in what looks like red blood and he screams repeatedly, can I help you as the friends run to the front of the cabin? They get inside and and begin to quickly get dressed. Jason brings out a hunting rifle. Isaac challenges Jason, encouraging his friend not to shoot the attackers, saying they didn't choose this. 
Jason approaches, which is interesting. Mm. Jason approaches the two figures with his rifle anyway. And the two saloon men's faces change from being crazed to being terrified. The men say they were just fucking around. Jason demands to know why they are covered in blood. And one of the men says it's fake. Isaac starts Mm. to say they would. Yeah, I know, right? That's cool. They were just idiots and don't deserve to be shot. But Jason counters. They knew what they were doing. That's even worse. Isaac knows Jason is right, but still tells Jason to put the gun down. Suddenly, the main attacker is stabbed through the back of the neck with a pitchfork. It's the artist's neighbor from next door. Jason opens fire, but is attacked by the artist with a cordless handsaw, and he loses (laughs) the gun. At the last moment, the artist is hit in the head with a bat by the remaining saloon man, Brandon. The four friends plus Brandon retreat into the cabin and then a loft space in the living room. They kick the ladder down so the overwhelmed artist, head slightly sunken in, um, can't reach them as he pursues them. That's a, yeah. That's, I mean, good description, Kelly. I am am unnerved by that. Oh man, they've got it. Slightly sunken in is, is grim. I'm there, I'm with you. As they remain in the loft, the artist begins to create a grotesque sculpture made of items from the rental cabin and pieces of the dead saloon man's body and organs. I think this is an <laughs> underrated horror trope of serial killers love making art with body parts. But what I also applaud is that you only ever see the outcome and never the process. Like you're <laughs> <Yeah>. always like, because <laughs> you're in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house being like, that lamp's made out of skin. But here it's like, hey, this is the artist <laughs> making the art. Man, I went to art school. Sculpture is difficult. You know, you need a studio. You need days of work. You need assistance. Like, hats off to anyone who wants to make a grotesque dead body part sculpture. I think that if you choose your medium wisely, though, you should be able to save that. If you're like, I'm a blue tack sculptor. And it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> you don't need the sort of feat of engineering to make your artwork happen. No. The group debates what to do. They decide to drive to Palm Springs, a dedicated gay sanctuary city with an armed guard. Isaac thinks they will turn them away as tickets into the city cost 45 grand. If they're turned away, they plan to return to LA, but their car is out of gas and no gas stations will be open. The saloon man, Brandon, offers to drive them. During the course of their conversation, the artist's family has joined him. The artist strings intestine around the sculpture of body parts and household (laughs) items. His wife pulls cereal on the counter and hacks at it with a knife. A teen girl talks gibberish into an inoperative cell phone. A young boy is staring at the wall, twitching and holding Jason's rifle. All right, so it's proper art house scary town now. Yeah, I'm having fun. This is good. Hazel uses Nora's bra to strap Jason's phone to the drone. They use it to play RuPaul's song Supermodel on the drone. All four of the overwhelmed family run after the drone out into the desert. I love the fact that I'm guessing because it's a queer artifact that it's going to drive them mad. Uh it's funny, like with a joke like that, that I feel like is 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 not. I don't feel like I'm allowed to accept the coded language that's meant to go with like a RuPaul song. If I meant to go like, ah, yes, like if that's tickling my own prejudices or not, it's there's something that I feel mm. that, that that the degree of privilege I bring to a to a reading like this, that I'm like, okay, cool, let's just see, let's just remain completely open to whatever coding's meant to be there. I mean, there's also potentially an element in which, you know, RuPaul is, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race is such an icon of a queer show, but Mm. in the past has had some questionable things to say about trans people 
to the point where she was called out online and tried to share the trans flag in response to be like, no, I'm an ally. But I think Googled the trains flag instead. <laughs> and so shared this fl- this flag that's like, yay, trains. It's like, a- apparently this is a thing that happened. I read it on the internet recently. Amazing. I thought that was very funny. Anyway, they head for Brandon's truck, but are surprised by headlights. A tow truck driver approaches and asks them, need a lift? Looks like you're stuck. Toast in the morning, hairless, Ohio paste. And that's what he says. The man is completely nude, which embarrasses Brandon, who struggles to distract the driver. Jason plans to hit the driver over the head with a rock, but the nude couple from the side of the road grab at him. The four friends, now pursued by the crazed and smiling, overwhelmed, Brandon simply stands there dumbfounded. Jason's foot catches on something and his ankle pops out of joint. He begins, he, oh, he begins to try and distract the overwhelm from his friends singing Supermodel. He then flings himself over the, the edge Jill of the Jill Sabiel song? No, no, no. Supermodel, the, the RuPaul song. I wanna song. be a... Oh, sorry, the RuPaul song. That so, was a classic song, though. Yeah. Do you remember when, when my ship comes in? Oh, like, yes. Spotify is such a terrifying place to realize you remember songs much more warmly. Like I was like, I'm pretty sure it was the greatest song of 1997. <laughs> and I went back and I was like, nah, it's a little, it's a little derivative and boring. Yeah, anybody who idolizes the 90s should go back and actually listen to the music they listen to. Oof. A lot of Australian new metal knockoff bands. Oh, that, non-intentional uh... life form. <laughs> <laughs> they had a DJ. <laughs> Oh man, could you imagine sharing Australian new metal DJs to, you know, the original creators of hip hop in the block parties of the 70s and being like, this is what it leads to. <laughs> this is what it leads to. What was the band who um the video clip had the the MC in the back of a the back oh my of God, a 28 days. 28 days. 28 days. <laughs> Look, look, Australia is an amazing country, but if you're not from here and you remember new metal, look up Australian new metal. It's some of the worst (laughs) stuff you'll ever hear. (laughs) It was pretty bad and we loved it. We bloody loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough times. It is really tough times. So the three friends who are left after Jason flings himself over the edge of a low cliff and the overwhelmed Mm. follow him down. The three friends get in their car low on gas. Brandon chases after them and gets in the car too. Isaac tries to call out for Jason, but the overwhelmed are still chasing the car on foot, so they leave. They drive in silence, headlights off and slow. They hear screaming and gunshots in the distance. Mm. They decide to park and wait it out, hidden, but Brandon says he can get gas from the saloon. Brandon says he will sneak inside and get the gas without waking up his boss, who is not actually vaccinated. Brandon still expects one of the remaining three friends to go inside. Yeah, okay. The three friends stare Brandon down as he explains why he already did this. Did his part. Typical ally, Hazel says, and Brandon is confused and hurt. He insists he is an ally until it gets difficult, Hazel responds, until it gets dangerous. I think that's a really nice little vignette because there's a funny thing. You and I would consider ourselves allies, but, oh, that's my employer, or, like, oh, that's my father-in-law, or, like, you know, like we're not really tested like even on this podcast as you and I talking to each other we can say you know we can we can communicate in a way that that we think is largely free of consequence and be right about it and I think there's there's that question of like yeah okay (laughs) show me how much of an ally you are it's on well I think that's right right allyship Mm. is uh acts it's not people well said 
So the two argue further. Hazel challenges Brandon, asking him what he did to help over the previous years, but Brandon just gets frustrated and angry. He doesn't budge while Hazel lays into him, and finally Nora curses at him to go get the fuel because the zombies are after them and not him. Brandon creeps out of the car and into the saloon. Brandon has gone half an hour, and the friends assume he's not coming back. Isaac now goes in. He is startled by a figure rushing him in the dark, but it's Brandon, who can't figure out the keys that goes to the back storage room without a light. Mm, that's a bit of a... Like, I wonder how jump scares work in a novel. Like, I, <laughs> I'm sort of frustrating hearing that unfold in a synopsis. But, you know, in the dramatic retelling of that jump scare, I wonder how it works. Yeah, if anyone can write us a jump scare in the comments, that would be amazing. Yeah, everything was totally fine. But then something happened. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of caps locked. <laughs> They get the gas after Isaac uses his cell phone as a flashlight, Mm. but blocking their exit is the saloon owner standing stock still with a large knife in his hand. Uh, He faces away from them, so Isaac and Brandon agonizingly sneak behind him as the overwhelmed man shrieks at random. Again, would be tough to convey the tension there in a novel as opposed to in a film. Yeah, because there's the show don't tell when you write of like it was a pretty tense situation. It's like right, like everyone was pretty nervous. <laughs> they nearly get back to the car, but are blocked again by the man who thought he was a real life cowboy who carries a real six shooter now and a coil of rope with a noose. God. Cool. Isaac and Brandon hide while the cowboy walks by, spurs jangling and yelling stereotypical old west phrases. They think he's passed and leave hiding, but Isaac is hit in the back of the head. He comes to on the town's mock gallows, his neck in a noose. Uh... Isaac struggles for breath as the cowboy shrieks, dead or alive, repeatedly. Brandon suddenly calls for the cowboy's attention and Isaac is so thankful for it. I mean, nothing is worse than those relics of colonialism that we definitely have in Australia Mm. and I'm guessing they have in the States where it's like, Mm. here's the gallows. And it's like, guys, (laughs) (laughs) Ixnay on the aloes gay guys. This is the statues argument, isn't it? Like I'm like, Hey, this guy, you know, discovered Jamaica. And it's like, (laughs) 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 why did he do that? He he did what now? Yeah. And it's like, um, why did he want an Island like that? Oh, Brandon is shot and leaves. As Isaac begins to pass out, Nora and Hazel drives Jason's car into the cowboy and the side of the gallows structure. Isaac is freed, but sees the saloon owner approaching overwhelmed. He picks up a baseball bat and kills the man. I love the term of overwhelmed. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's fun. He cries, but does not feel guilty, stating that all of this could have been prevented with a few basic precautions. The reason these precautions don't happen is simple. Deep down, they just don't care enough to bother. Oh, isn't that isn't that good? Oh, that is like incendiary. I love that. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably the most important, mm-hmm. you know, line in the novel. Nora and Hazel, and I'm glad that this isn't on Wikipedia because we wouldn't be allowed that quote because that would have been uh, attribution or whatever that. And said words to the effect of. <laughs> <laughs> Nora and Hazel crawl out of the wreck and they embrace Isaac. But the car catches fire and they begin to hear screaming and hollering from up the hill. They have nowhere else to go. They hear more and more shrieks as lights turn on in the darkness across the landscape. Suddenly, Jason arrives in Brandon's truck. He had hid from the overwhelmed successfully by connecting with Hazel's drone and playing more music leading the overwhelmed away. They begin to drive to Palm Springs. 
Brandon flags them down, and despite the man abandoning Isaac on the gallows, they begin to let him in the car. But as Brandon starts to climb in, <sighs> the artist catches up, slicing Brandon <laughs> in half with a chainsaw. <laughs> Good. The four queer friends escape, driving away. They reach Palm Springs, where they expect to be turned away, but the guards allow them in. We rejoin the friends, enjoying a pitcher of mimosas later in the next morning, hungover. They are brought freshly baked cookies from the waiter, who says they were baked by a straight person. Isaac is conflicted by fear, but finally bites into it. It's valid to feel anger, that much I've learned, but it's also just as valid to feel joy, Isaac thinks to himself. None of us would have survived if it wasn't for these complexities, not just within ourselves, but as a group. We may hail from across the vast spectrum of sexualities, but we're stronger together. I now know our survival is not predicated on the conditional help of fair-weathered allies or even the rock-solid kindness of outsiders who put in the work. We've made it this far because of each other. Look, that's a fairly uplifting end, Shag, that makes me query its place in in the horror genre, broadly Mm. speaking, because I'm actually left uplifted and excited by that conclusion. Um, I think the presence, uh, like, yes, I agree, mm. but I think the presence of a space-altering object, number one, mm. uh, the, the presence of semi-zombie normal people mm. and the presence of an artist who uses a chainsaw and, you know, uses bodily entrails to make sculptures are all good signifiers to say, no, we, we are in horror country, despite an uplifting ending. It's funny, isn't it? Like, and so perhaps horror is less um, absolute necessary requirements, but a list of nine to twelve criteria, three of which must be ticked. And so you've got to have three of your twelve in order to be a horror film, rather than things that must be included and must not. Yeah, look, this is another conversation for another episode, but just get us on you, you uh, get us on what is it called YouTube, Instagram, and just tell us what those twelve criteria are, and we'll read them out on the next one, and probably argue about them. So and also, once once on. again, shout out to oh, Kelly, yeah, Kelly for putting in the work there. They smashed it. If there's something you want us to synopsize, and the synopsis doesn't exist, mm. feel free to sling it our way. We will do yeah. it. Um, uh... Well, we'll discuss doing it. We will <laughs> consider doing it. Is what we'll do. <laughs> Uh, big thanks for your company this week, team. And I've actually had a fair bit of support from the uh, Spooko community, uh, some of whom know me uh, through the Spooko community directly and then more broadly. So it's a big, big thanks. I really appreciate it. Our fam's well, and it's well in part uh, because of the warm community we have around us. So thank you very, very much. Uh, Dry July will be over by the time you hear this episode, so you can rest assured that it'll be Resh's What the fuck is up? <laughs> um, I've oh, Peach, those... you have never deserved a Resh's more in your life. I'm going to put this beer in the fridge, Shag. There'll be some overpriced, very exciting orange wine going in there as well. So rest assured, your big homie Peach will be nice and hungover at the time you are listening to this episode. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?